Hey friends, I'm Sharon Betters, and you are listening to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Today, we have such a powerful story to share with you, and it is on that really painful and yet freeing topic of forgiveness. You may remember that on June 17, 2015, Dylan Roof, a young white man, attended the Wednesday evening Bible study at the predominantly black Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. An hour later, Roof pulled a concealed weapon and killed nine African Americans as they prayed, including Myra Thompson, the wife of Reverend Anthony Thompson. As you can imagine, and as you're going to hear in this conversation between Anthony and my husband, Chuck, Myra's murder devastated Anthony. He gives us a play-by-play description of that horrific night leading up to that moment when he would be face-to-face with the murderer of his beautiful wife. How would you respond? How do you think you would respond? I know how Anthony wanted to respond, and he shares that with us in this conversation. Well, this is part one of his story. He is the author of a book called To Forgive. He is passionate about that calling to encourage others to experience what it means to biblically forgive those who hurt us. I know that you are going to be so taken in by his description of that horrific night and to that moment when he is face to face with this murderer. What is he going to do? So I invite you to listen in on this powerful conversation, part one, between my husband Chuck and Reverend Anthony Thompson, author of Called to Forgive. Thank you so much, Sharon, and welcome to Reverend Anthony Thompson. You are a hero in many people's eyes. Your book, Called to Forgive, is a must read for every believer, non believer alike. Get a hold of this book, get a copy of this book, and spend some time reading one of the great biblical principles you will ever read, spelled out in such beautiful ways against the backdrop of a great tragedy. Because on June 17th, 2015, the world watched, I know I did, uh, the happenings at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, where nine people were shot and killed. Uh, by a white racist named Dylan Roof. And today we have Reverend Anthony Thompson, who wrote this incredible book called Called to Forgive, with us, whose wife, Myra, was brutally murdered, I believe, with eight bullets, shot and killed this wonderful woman. It was her first Bible study she was teaching after being licensed Uh, in full-time ministry. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit with Reverend Thompson about not only his wife, Myra, but his family, a little bit about his family. But then in part two, we will talk about the idea, the concept, the biblical concept of the power of forgiveness. So Reverend Thompson, welcome to Marking Ministries. We appreciate your time and we trust that God will use it for his honor and glory. Good morning. Thank you, Brother Chuck and Sister Sharon, for having me on. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you this morning. 
I hope that we all will be blessed by what God will have us to say this morning. In reference to the tragedy that happened at Emmanuel Amy Church in Charleston, South Carolina on June 17, 2015, my wife, Myra, was teaching them Bible study. And of course, Myra, this entire, the book and the story itself and forgiveness would, would not have come to fruition had it not been for the death of my wife, Myra. But Myra is a, she was a very extraordinary person. When I say extraordinary, I don't mean to define her as other people would when they say extraordinary. I mean, she was. She was a person who expressed love to the nth degree. I thought I was a person who knew what love was all about and, and, and that no, no one could ever, ever possibly outdo me when it comes to love. But when I, when I met Myra, I found out that she just expressed love more than myself. She was a teacher. She was a counselor. She was a minister. More importantly, she was a mother and a wife. And she took each responsibility, each gift that the Lord gave her very seriously. But the most precious and most significant of her gifts was the gift of giving. Mara would actually give her last. When I say give her last, I mean, she's not the type of person who people would just say to give their last. I knew she gave her last because most of the time her last was my last. And so everything she did was for the sake of to benefit someone else. When she became a teacher, her, her, her goal to become a teacher was to make sure that especially underprivileged children, disadvantaged children would have opportunities that she did not have because she herself came from a broken home where, where she and her, her siblings did not, were not raised in the same home um, at an early age. And she always carried this with her in reference to meeting the needs of other children. So it was her goal to become a teacher, not just to teach, teach academically, but, but to teach children about life and to find out just where they lack things so she could help them with what they lack. Uh, she taught at a school, which was a very tough school. And this school was a school where children were just very aggressive and and profanity was the was the was the language, kind of disrespectful to everybody. But of course, Myra, she always saw beyond people's drama, and she saw beyond people's inability to respect others. And she 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 looked at these kids, and she looked a little deeper. And she would visit their homes. I mean, she would actually sit down and have a conversation with them. And one day, she came to me and she said she wanted to go back to school, and she wanted to get her master's in reading. I said, okay. She said, I, I want to be able to help my children. I said, well, you don't have to worry about helping our kids. They'll be all right. And she said, no, I'm talking about my kids at school. And so she went back to the Citadel. She got her master's in reading. And she said, she did this, she said, because she knew that this usage of profanity and disrespect and, and being aggressive, she said it was a defense. And she knew that it had a lot to do with reading comprehension and ability to read an ability just to focus and concentrate and the fact that they carried a lot of baggage, you know, because a lot of them were the mothers and fathers in their homes and a lot of them took care of their own siblings, just like she had to do. And so she saw that when she went back to the school and she applied the master she got as a reading specialist, believe me, it changed a lot of children's lives. She knew exactly what she was talking about. And, and that was one school that was just so noisy and and when she went back and she, I mean, she really got into them. Her, her classroom was the only quiet classroom in the whole building. It got to the point where, and, and she was only like 
maybe close to five feet tall and, and very skinny, very skinny person. Uh, so she wasn't big. They didn't do things for her because she forced it on them. Uh, she got mean with them. They did it out of respect because she they know she respected them. And so the other teachers would come and get her to quiet their classrooms down. And, 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 and it would happen. Then she came to me another day. And she said, well, I want to go back to school again. I said, I know this is for your kids. Okay, what, do you, what is it this time? She said, well, I want to become a counselor. She said, but now that I've reached them, generally speaking, I've reached them. She said, I believe I can reach them individually. She went back, got a master's in counseling, went back to the school this time as a counselor, not as a teacher, the same school. And the children who were not going to counseling started lining up to go to counseling just because she was a counselor. I mean, before then, they, they just refused. And, 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 and she had so many students to want to have her to counsel them that they had to hire another counselor. Mm-hmm. And so this, I mean, she made a difference at that school because of the kind of person she was. She was a very giving person. And she was a person who was not a stranger to anybody. I mean, she, she would meet somebody. I mean, it could be a perfect stranger. And the first thing she would try to get to know them and she would search to see if it was something in their life that they failed or, or something in their life that they still wanted to do and they didn't do. And she had a, she, I mean, she was good at getting them to tell her. And say, for example, I mean, she, she met a young man. I was with her and she's, and, and we're talking. He was working at an enterprise uh, rental car. And she, she, she inquired about his schooling and does he like his job? And then she found out that he, he just took this job and he, he he left college and he wanted to go back to college, but seemed impossible. And she said, no, it's not impossible. She sat that young man down. And before, she, before we left with our rental car, she already had a plan for him, how to go back to school, how to save his money to get there, the courses he's going to be taking, and the year he'd be graduating. I mean, she, that's the way she was. She didn't just do that for him. She did that for a lot of people. Oh, wow. so, yeah, and so that's the type of person my wife was. She made a difference in people's lives. She made a difference in the lives of her students. Her students love her. I mean, when we were running to her students, you know, after graduation, they have their own kids. They would say, oh, Mrs. Thompson, you got to meet my son. And I, all the things you told us, and this is what we're doing with them. And I mean, they just would just be elated to see her and just ready and excited to tell her that everything she taught them, they applied to their lives, even in the lives of their children. We were married for 17 years. 17 years. Yeah, 17 years. You have we have we have we have uh, we have t- uh, two sons and a daughter. We have five grandchildren. Of course, we only had two before the tragedy, so Myron never met the other three. All of our kids are grown and gone out of the house, and our grandkids, uh, my my children live in Charlotte, Columbia, and my grandkids live in Charlotte, North Carolina. They're doing good. Let's go back, if we can, to the night of June the 15th. I know that when my wife and I go and we speak somewhere, they always want us to talk about the night of July 6th, which is when our son was killed. And I know that when we come home from speaking or sharing wherever we go, it's like somebody ripped the scab off and we're bleeding all over again. And so I know the sacrifice that's involved in going over the details of that night. But I I think it's important because it sets the stage for part two of this interview, which will be on the concept of forgiveness. 
So why don't you, in your own way, your own words, rehearse for us the night of the tragedy where nine people were killed? What happened that night? Well, early that day, you know, Maya was preparing for her Bible study lesson, and she's a person who has to get 100%. Now, I used to always tell you, you're never going to get 100%, you get 99. And so she said, Well, I'm going to get 99. And, uh, she it was she just had this awe about her. It was this aura. And she was one of the happiest person in the world that day. I mean, she was just radiant. And and and, and when she walked around the house, it was like she was floating. And I couldn't imagine what was going on. She had this smile and this this joyful look that I never seen, not just in her, but I never seen that in anybody to be that happy. And I know I said, Well, I know I didn't make her, I didn't make her that happy. Um, so this, she was going, this was, she was going through that day. And when she was getting ready to go to Bible study, normally we walk each other to the door when we leave, depending on who's leaving home. And we would say, I love you. Give you a kiss and go. That, 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 that never happened. Um, for some reason during the course of that day, I couldn't touch her. I tried. And for some reason I just, I couldn't, I couldn't touch her and she knew it. <laughs> and it, it was just, strange to us I, and I said well, you know I'm gonna talk to her about this when she comes back that aura that she had and the way she was gliding around the house and the fact that I couldn't touch her but of course that never occurred and I was going to be at that Bible study that night because she and I we we do everything together everything um, and for some reason I told her I would be there she said no she didn't want me to come and we went back and forth about 10 minutes back and forth saying I'm coming no you're not coming so she convinced me to go to my church where we were having vacation Bible school for the kids for the first night. She said, there's going to be some drama. You need to be over there. Of course, that was one of the buttons. A wife knew how to push on a husband. And so I went and she went off to her Bible study. And I, I was trying my best to get there, but she was right. There was drama going on at my vacation Bible school. And I don't know how she figured that out. I could never get to a Bible study. And so afterwards, I just went home. And when I got home, as soon as I walk in the door, the phone rang, and it was somebody from Emmanuel Church. She wanted to speak to Myers. I said, well, Myers not here. She said, well, she's got to be there because we, we had a meeting, and she just left out of the meeting. I know she's home. I said, well, ma'am, she's teaching. she had to teach Bible study after the meeting. And then the lady said, well, hold on a minute. I've got another call. Don't hang up. She came back to the phone. She said, she said Anthony, you need to go to the church. Shooting is going on at the church. And I just dropped the phone. I ran out of the house. I don't remember locking my door. And we're like five minutes away from Emmanuel Church because we're downtown as well. Mm. I got down there and the police officers had the particular street that I was trying to get on blocked off, which is Calhoun and Elizabeth Street. I'm trying to explain to him who I am and that my wife was in that church. And he said, he said, well, just calm down. He said, calm down. They took everybody out of the church and they uh, uh, took them over to the hotel right across the street from the church. So I'm thinking everything's okay. I drive my car down another street. I get out. I'm running down Meeting Street, which is a meeting which can intersect the Calhoun where, where, where all this took place, where Emmanuel Church is at. And I saw nine ambulances strategically parked in a, in a, in a magic marker um, with no lights on, nobody sitting aside. So I'm thinking, you know, this police officer didn't tell me everything. 
because I was a, an agent retired 27 years. I, I've been in situations like that and, and something just wasn't right. So I ran to the hotel trying to find out where they were. And once I found out where they were, I opened the door trying to get my composure because I know, you know, I was sweating and everything. I know she saw me. She'd be like, whoa, whoa, wow, what's wrong with you? Why are you sweating like that? You know, anyway, I opened the door, didn't see anybody. I looked to my left and I saw Felicia Sanders and her grandchild, her granddaughter. There were two of the survivors and they didn't see me. They, they were just crying and holding each other. I looked to my right. I saw Ms. Polly Shepard, another survivor. And she had her head down on the table and she was just crying. And so I'm looking around. I don't see anybody. I was wondering where my wife is. And as I turned to my left to go back out the door, Felicia Sanders, she's looking at me at that time. She says, Anthony, Ma is gone. I said, well, yeah, I know she's gone. You know, my wife, she, I said, she just can't keep still. I didn't expect her to be in there when I came in here anyway. I said, I'll just sit and wait for her to come. She said, no, she's gone. I said, yeah, I know you told me. I said, I'm just going to wait till she comes. She said, she is not coming back. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and I, just, I, I just, I just ran out of the door. And I landed on, on, on a flower bed in front of the hotel. And I'm, 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 I'm on my knees praying. I'm, I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, look, you know, please let my wife be all right. And I'm looking at the church because the church is right across the street from the hotel. And I'm thinking, how can I get over there? And at the same time, I'm saying, Lord, please, if anything's wrong with her, if she's been shot or anything, just please don't let her suffer. And, and, and most of all, let me get in there because if, if she's been shot, then she need me. I need to get in there. And something said, just get up. And I got up and I'm running across the street. And by that time, I was almost like one of the first responders on the scene. But by that time, everybody was out the FBI, uh, SLED, Charleston Police Department, North Charleston, ambulances. Uh, every responder you want to know was out there. And they had everything taped off. And somehow I got past everybody. And I ran toward the church and I saw where they were coming out the side door of the church, back and forth, back and forth. So I ran in that direction where there was a gate before I and I and I reached for the gate to get inside to get to that door. And when I did that, somebody snatched me back. I found out later on it was an FBI agent. And man, we were tussling. And I was trying to explain to who I am. And I'm trying to find out who he is, why he grabbed me. And we're tussling, we're tussling. And he couldn't hold me, so it took, four, it took five people to actually hold me down. And when they got me down, I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm like, you know, trying to find out what's going on. They couldn't tell me anything. They kept saying, well, we don't know. We can't tell you. We don't know. We can't tell you. So the last question I asked them, I said, well, the people who are in Bible study, are they still inside the church? And he said, oh, yeah, they're still inside the church. I said, well, if they are still inside the church, why can't they come out? And he said, well, I can't tell you that. Neither. I, I really don't know. And by that time, I knew, I, you know, I knew. And I asked him, I said, well, are they dead? He said, well, I know, I can't tell you that. I said, why don't y'all just tell me the truth? You know, just let me know, you know. And by that time, I figured it out. I figured everybody in there was dead. And, and that's when I just hit the ground. I, I, I hit the pavement of Calhoun Street, and I cried like a baby. I just cried like a baby. And I, and I just cried like a baby. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice saying, get up. And it was very harsh. It was like, get up. And I looked around, didn't see anybody. 
Then I heard a second time, and but the second time I heard, I was about ready to grab somebody because I, I was trying to figure out who was screaming at me so harshly. Then the third time I heard it, I knew who it was. It was God. I heard that voice before, not as harsh, but I heard that voice before when I was seven years old, kicking up some bags at a piggly we still trying to find some money. And that voice came, the same thing, called my name three times. And the third time said, this is God, you're going to be a preacher. So I knew who that was. You know, I knew who that was. And I was trying to get up. And, I, and, 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 and a pastor helped me up. One of the, one of the respond, first responders, his name was Spike Coleman. I found out later on. And, and, and I'm literally trying to get up. And I'm looking at him. And he's looking at me like, what? I said, well, <clears throat> I'm, trying, I'm trying to explain to him what just happened. And while, while I'm getting up and, and while I'm trying to move, God is he's still talking to me. I mean, he's just like a. He was like a pest that night. I did not want to hear anything he had to say. I didn't want to be bothered with him. As a matter of fact, by the time I got up, I'd already thrown in the, in the towel. I said, look, I'm not going to preach anymore. Don't look for me to be in church on Sunday. The ministry is mine. I had, I'm not doing that anymore. I mean, I just gave up on everything. And, and I, I, I was just walking around saying, you know, I can remember saying this almost a thousand times. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I kept saying, I have no more purpose. My purpose is gone. I just kept saying those same things over and over again. And God just kept coming at me. He kept coming at me. And I was like, leave me alone. I want to hear what you got to say. I, I literally put my hands on my ears just to keep from hearing him. And then uh, all of a sudden, he gave me scripture. St. Luke, the 17th chapter, first six verses. Of course, I told him I didn't need scripture. I said, I told you I don't need scripture because I'm not going to be preaching Sunday. Why are you giving me scripture? I'm not going to put my foot in the church, you know. And I didn't read that scripture until later on, until later on, maybe maybe the next day. Um, it was St. Luke 17, chapter says, things will happen in life will cause you to stumble. And at that time, I'm, I'm saying to God, well, I know I stumble on my faith. Tell me something I don't know. I know that. And then it goes on to say, but woe to the one who caused one of my little ones to stumble. They'd rather have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea, cause one of my little ones to stumble. I'm trying to figure out, well, who is this for? And then it goes on to say, forgive. If somebody do you wrong seven times in a day and come to repent, then seven times in a day, forgive them. And I'm trying to figure out, well, this cannot be for me because there's nobody to forgive. Forgive who? Because at that time, we didn't know who committed the crime. We Dylan Roof had not been caught yet. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out who, who is God talking about. I'm like, this is not for me. Just leave me alone. This is the next day, 48 hours, 48 hours after that, it's a bond hearing for Dylan Roof. And I was home. My daughter, she came to me and she said, Father, they caught the man who killed mom. His name is Dylan Roof and they have a bond hearing for him today and we need to go. I said, I'm not going. I don't, I don't need to know who he is. I don't, I don't, I don't care about who he is. You know, I, my, literally, I was thinking about Myra, my wife, from the time of the tragedy up until that time, that's all was on my mind. I was thinking, why couldn't I be there? Well, you know, if I was there, if I went to Bible study, if I just went over there, maybe I could have protected. Maybe it would have shot me and not her. You know, I'm going, all this is going through my mind. And so I told my daughter, I said, I'm not going. You know, and I know my daughter, she's persistent. So I, I, I put my pajamas on. I went to my room. I closed my door. I put a cover over my head. She came right behind me. I said, Father, she said, well, if you don't go, I'm not going. And that just kind of broke my heart. And I just, I just knew I had to go, not for me, but for her. 
I said, okay, we're going, but keep your mouths closed because this is the first time we ever experienced anything like this. The media is going to ask you all kinds of questions. I say, you're going to say the wrong thing, and you're going to hear it again, so keep your mouths closed. And so we went. And when we got there, I, I was ready to go as soon as we got there. And the magistrate, he asked if there are any family members here who would like to say something. The first person to speak was Nadine. Her mother, Ms. Lance, was one of the persons killed. And Nadine said, I forgive you, my family, forgive you. Lord, have mercy on your soul. And at that time, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was already burned down. And now she's, I'm feeling her burden. And I'm like, no, we got to go. And then the mattress says, there's anybody here from Maya Thompson's family who wants to speak? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I look at my kids. I'm like, shut up. Don't say anything. And then that same voice again says, get up. I've got something to say. And I knew it was the Lord this time. I didn't argue with him. I just got up. And I walk into the podium. And, I, and I'm not hearing anything. I said, Lord, look, if you have something to say, say it. Because I don't have anything to say. I didn't come in for this. I, I don't have anything to say. So tell me, don't embarrass me up here. Tell me what it is. And as I'm walking, he's telling me, he says, you're a sinner too. I'm like, what? I'm a sinner. I said, no, 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 no. I'm not coming up here to tell people I'm a sinner. I'm not doing that. They, they don't need to know that. I'm not doing that. He said, well, I died for you, and I died for Dylan. Dylan is my child, and you, just like you're my child. You've done things wrong, too. He may have killed your wife, but you've done things wrong, too. And I'm like, seriously? He's convicted. He convicted me. And then uh, it seemed like I was up there for hours. But it was just a short few moments, you know, and then he's telling me, he says, and he's telling me, he says, and I want you to get Dylan's attention. I'm like, how am I going to get his attention? He's behind the screen because, because Dylan kept his head down the whole time. He, he wasn't looking at anybody. No matter who spoke, he kept his head down. And so as I'm dealing, dealing with him and, and I'm thinking about all the things, I mean, I'm literally going back on my life thinking about what my parents taught me when it came to forgiving people, what they showed me, what some people who I have forgiven. And then it hits me, yeah, I am a sinner. Okay, okay, I'll do this, you know. And I'm thinking, you know, he's he's a lost soul. He needs to be saved. So, okay. And, 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 and all I can remember is my mouth opening. And it's like Dylan and I, and I are the only people in the room. I don't see anybody else, just, just, just Dylan and myself. And I said, son, I forgive you. I said, my family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to repent, confess, repent, and give your life to the one that means the most to Christ. When I said Christ, he held his head up. So God knew what he was talking about when he said, get Dylan's attention. He held his head up and he looked, I, and I glanced him in his eyes and I saw, I saw this innocent, remorseful looking guy who didn't, who didn't want to be remorseful. And just got a glance at him for a moment. And then I said, and then I said, God, because God can change your ways. He can change your attitude. You know, I said, and um, you're in a lot of trouble right now. But if you do that, no matter what happens to you right now, you're going to be all right. And I began to walk away. 
As I'm walking away, my body begins to tremble. And I'm trembling. And it looks it's like things are coming out of my fingers. And I'm looking at my fingers to see what's coming out. There's nothing coming out. But I can feel it. I can literally feel stuff leaving my body. And then before I knew it, just like, I'm, I'm just light as a feather. I mean, just light as a feather. And the next thing I know, I'm experiencing this peace. This peace like none other. I mean, I'm talking about real peace. I'm talking about this peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. That peace is real. Okay? I thought I experienced it before. I preached a sermon from that scripture a few times, and I thought I had that peace, and I thought my congregation had that peace, but I discovered that day that we did not have that peace because I felt it that I felt that peace that day. I felt and it was like nothing else. It's like no other kind of peace. It's like no calmness and nothing, no stillness that I've ever felt before in my life. And it just literally took everything away from me. God just took it all. He took the anger, the hate. He even took the sadness I was feeling from my mind. He just took it all. And I and this peace was like nothing. And, and all I know is I got that peace right now in the day. I still got it. And all I know is that peace enabled me to move forward in my life. That's why I'm able to talk about this. That's why I'm able to do the things that I'm doing. That's why the book was written, because God gave me peace. He gave me purpose. He heard me when I said I didn't have nothing to do. I didn't know what to do. I had no purpose. He heard me, and he gave me purpose, and he gave me something to do. And he told me before I left, I'm on my way to my seat. And he said, now. This is your new mission to spread the gospel of forgiveness. You are listening to Pastor Anthony Thompson, whose wife, Myra, and eight others who have become known as the Charleston Nine were murdered by a white racist named Dylan Roof on June the 17th, 2015, murdered in cold blood. And Anthony wrote a book that I believe is a book all of you need to read. It's called Called to Forgive. And uh, you're listening to part one of this interview. In part two, Anthony is going to talk about a new calling in his life. The book title captures it, A Gospel of Forgiveness. And I'm gonna ask him in part two what all of that means. Again, this is a podcast of Mark Inc. Ministries. We thank you for the opportunity to share with you these wonderful stories of redemption and forgiveness as told from the perspective of the people who experience it. So, Pastor Anthony Thompson, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us on this podcast, part one called To Forgive. So, friends, look for part two where we will discuss exactly what it means biblically to forgive unconditionally. This is Dr. Chuck Betters. Thank you so much for tuning in to us. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhope, 
www.helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.